So the Financial Times uh, seems to support economic planning. They made they made some similar arguments that actually uh, both both you, Mihao, and Lee make in your book that planning actually has been done before all over the world, and to varying extents is still happening. Uh, the Financial Times also noted that Warren is proposing industrial planning. There's some interest by some Republicans. This seems like kind of a new innovation to me, but maybe not. But what is your sense? Why is uh, economic uh, planning suddenly on the kind of political agenda again? Well, it's plainly because of our book coming out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you got uh, probably a few blurbs from uh, FT columnists on there, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> All diligently reading it, taking notes. Um, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, for some reasons it's because it's because it's 10 years since the great financial crisis uh, and mm -hmm. we're still not fully recovered, especially on a lot of, you know, metrics that are of, of great concern uh, to capitalism. You know, productivity uh, is still quite low. It has been, it was low even before this uh, latest crisis, you know, sort of through the 2000s, but it's still low and in the doldrums. Uh, investment uh, and especially real investment in sort of plant and, and equipment and R&D is still uh, quite low. There's a big phase of sort of mergers and acquisitions, and that drives up a lot of uh, investment numbers. But but that kind of investment uh, that produces sort of innovation and, and, and really produces growth is um, is still lagging. Uh, and there's, you know, and there's political ferment around the world, too. And, you know, the, the, the hoi polloi are getting are getting uppity according to you know according to the the ft and, and its readers right this is a this is a concerning thing that there's uh increasing movements both on the left and and to the to an extent the right that um that are populist and anti uh anti-elitist in both genuine and and you know and and sort of cynical ways yeah so so i think there's an interest in this because this is one because as they say they recognize that planning is part and parcel of capitalism, you know, we don't talk about it often. Whether it's uh, inside firms or even, you know, to the extent of uh, monetary policy, industrial policy, all these things, um, and because there is there is a real there is a real need for capitalist rejuvenation. In fact, some of the ideological uh, work of neoliberalism and and sort of that related policy sphere since the since the eighties uh, has lessened the capacity for things like industrial policy and for that kind of uh, planning that uh, that was quite that was quite common. And the last thing I'll say is this is somewhat reminiscent um, of some of the debates that the U.S. had uh, in the twenties and thirties. Um, obviously, the 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 New Deal was in many ways uh, an experiment in in planning and industrial policy and in various sort of public you know public se sector leadership throughout 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 the economy and even outside of just the new deal even on the right during that time uh especially in the late 20s early 30s as you had the crisis developing there was actually quite an interest um among you know like calvin cooley th these like old right wingers from that era yeah. also became interested in in planning and i think for similar reasons so i think i think it's interesting and to some to some extent not that surprising i think yeah. the only thing that I, that I would sort of add to that is of course there's the, the elephant in the room is 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 china uh, i mean one one shouldn't um over egg the cake and 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 suggest that china is some sort of um exemplar of planning i mean the uh, so a recent study that i looked at uh, suggested that the, the scale of the the state sector today in china is still only roughly 
um, uh, the, the the size of the the state sector in France at the height of sort of uh, De Gaulle. So one shouldn't sort of um, exaggerate this. Nevertheless, it, it was very interesting earlier this year to see. I think it was around March that there was a report put out by um, uh, Marco Rubio of all people. Yeah. Um, um, argue, arguing that the, the United States needs to really up its game in terms of industrial planning uh, in order to uh, be able to compete in a range of different um, uh, technological sectors, biotech, artificial intelligence, uh, robotics, uh, a couple of other ones, uh, with China. That basically that uh, there's, you know, when push comes to shove, it's about elite domination and um, you know Marco Rubio throwing the neoliberal um, uh, neoliberalism under the bus, if uh, yeah. uh, in favor of economic planning, if 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 that uh, allows elite U.S. elites to uh, to return to uh, global domination. Interesting. So wait, wait. So you're implying that he's not doing it because he's a champion of the proletariat. Interesting. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've always thought of Marco Rubio as one of the great comrades we have on the inside it's like che Guevara. he's basically. playing it's it's yeah, the yeah. long long march through the institution <laughs> it's long. You, 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 you almost can't even see the incline very so. no, yeah, no. Yeah. but what's but what's you know what's little marco's deal why isn't supply and demand gonna like uh help us beat china and do all of the the cool robotic stuff why isn't supply and demand meeting though the kind of demands that the market the magical machinations of the market no why, why aren't those magical market forces going to come and save us with their yeah. their uh, almighty all-knowing wisdom well the left has, has some really good answers for this um i mean if we if we look at you know you take out your your mobile phone from your from, from your pocket and pretty much like about the most of the dozen or so technologies um, from uh, miniaturization to uh, GPS, whatever we're talking about, the, the vast bulk of those were developed by the Pentagon. Now, the Pentagon is certainly no bastion of socialism, but it's certainly not the free market either. Um, now, this is not, you know, it's not me saying this. This is uh, uh, Marianne Mazzucato, the, uh, the Italian-American economist, wrote a great book a few years ago called uh, The Entrepreneurial State, where she right. laid out how uh, the public sector is responsible for great swathes of of innovation. Uh, contrary to the the myth that the neoliberal myth that we're told of of the entrepreneur as the the uh, as the, the the site of of innovation. But um, I mean, basically, we just why why would they why would Mark? I don't think Marco Rubio has been reading Mariana Mazzucato, but <laughs> I think it, it just comes down to the fact that. Um, Maybe he's been reading the Financial Times, you know. He's been, well, the Financial Times has been reading reading him. I think he was actually mentioned in that yeah, yeah. Uh, in that article too. Well, the FT is certainly a much more um, a more interesting um, um, uh, source of information than Marco Rubio. Uh, <laughs> no, that's I mean, that's fair. That's I probably fair. <laughs> but very seriously, um, uh, elites. I mean, one of the reasons that the Financial Times is such a good publication to be reading, far better than The Guardian or The New York Times, is that, um, you know, if you're an investor, you need to really know the um, what, what is actually happening. Um, you, you can't, you don't need some prettified, um, ideological, ideal, uh, idealized version of, of reality. You really need to, um, uh, to have some frank advice. So the FD, I think, is probably... Um, that that's why they're 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 willing to. I mean, the the last few days, the uh, the recent special issue with the cover of the uh, the, the the Financial Times, this Martin Wolf um, essay, right. basically, how capitalism is broken. It's 
I think it's, it's very interesting that the FD is, is interesting. Yeah. Just, just on that on that point of supply and demand, I mean, I think one of the main arguments of the book is that of our book is that supply and demand has has limits, and it's always had it's always had limits. As in, it has you know it stops at the boundaries of the firm, uh, and within firms, and we, obviously we can get into this. And it, you know, it's a point that economists have made in the past, but like to forget, and especially like to forget in in the sort of econ one hundred and one. Um, ideologized version of of economics that you know that there is already a lot of sort of conscious decision making, a lot of conscious planning within uh, within capitalism, within within capitalist firms, within other large uh, large enterprises, um, and at that in- intra enterprise level as well. And again, it's it's that question of what do you do um, when some of the sort of you know. You don't want to call them natural or, or, or normal. The sort of you know mechanisms of, of high functioning uh, capitalism are are running are running out of steam, um, and then that question of um, of planning, of coordination, of finding other ways uh, to deal with the basic problem of reproduction under capitalism become you know become much more much more apparent and and much more unavoidable. Right. Um, bef- before we get too far into the specifics of economic planning. I just want to mention we're, we're joined here today by uh, Lee Phillips, a science writer and author of Austerity Ecology and the Collapse Porn Addicts, and Michal uh, Rozborski, a, a union researcher and writer. Both are authors of a new book from Verso called The People's Republic of Walmart, How the World's Biggest Corporations Are Laying the Foundation for Socialism. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. I'm glad to be here. Well, well, based on so based on the subtitle that like uh, you know these large corporations are laying the foundations for socialism, can I assume from the the main title that the corporation we should think the most for the future of socialism is Walmart, or do you have a a favorite of these corporate titans that you're like yeah they're the they're the ones that are gonna do it they're the uh, the uh, the commandant I don't know I don't know can't think of a communist joke right now. <laughs> I mean that subtitle is a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, the that subtitle wasn't actually wasn't written by us. That was that was the editors at Verso that came up with that. Uh, uh, seeing how the it's what sells right the books. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, it, and I think uh, there's been a little bit of an unfortunate thing where uh, some people have sort of read uh, that subtitle without reading the book. And, well, to be frank, without reading the first page of the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and assuming that uh, we're basically saying that uh, Walmart and Amazon to, uh, are are sort of models for socialism or yeah. an egalitarian society, and this is no what we, the our point was trying to very simply say that if the historical argument from and the strongest probably the strongest argument uh, from the right against ideas of socialism <clears throat> or even social democracy was that. Um, the price signal in the marketplace is allegedly supposed to encapsulate all this information, the, uh, the sort of infinitudes of, of, of information within, within supply chains. If um, a government, whether it's a series of, of, of bureaucrats or even more laterally um, uh, computationally, tries to replicate that, um, uh, because it's effectively mathematically impossible, uh, inevitably, there will be gaps between um, uh, supply and demand. Uh, those gaps will lead to sort of chaos. That chaos will only be able to be resolved through some sort of authoritarian regime. And that's basically a sort of explanation as to why the Soviet Union um, exists. 
Um, and so what we wanted to do was we wanted to use some of the best examples from capitalism. And, and Walmart is the largest corporation in the world. Uh, it's the largest employer in the world. Um, if it were a country, it would be the size of a Sweden or a, a Switzerland. It was about the size, you know, roughly maybe two thirds of the USSR at its height in the 1970s. Um, so if, and yet, yet, you know, it's a paragon of, 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 of capitalist virtue. So, and while it exists within a sea of prices externally, internally, it's entirely planned. It's hierarchically right. planned, not democratically planned, but it is inter in, in, internally entirely planned. So if the argument, and this is only one side of the, there's, there's many other aspects of the, the, uh, the, the conservative argument within the, what's called the economic calculation debate. Um, yeah. It is true that at scale, um, planning is impossible, that how on earth does Walmart work? So, right. the, sorry, so our, our aim is not to, to hold up Walmart as um, some incredible example of, of social justice at all, quite, sure. quite the opposite, but just as a, um, you know, as a, as, as, a, as a counterpoint to the argument that, that planning at scale cannot work. Right. Right. So like how like what is planning? So when we think about it, because that's that's what was that was kind of one of the interesting questions that I was wrestling with. And I was when I was walking through your book, I was thinking, you know, are our subsidies planning our regulations, economic planning um, is, you know, are, are, you know, what, what, what should we think of as economic planning? Should we think picture a bunch of people surrounding like a, a table and like moving pieces around on a board? Like what is planning? And, 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 also, and also and also when we're talking about economics, is there a. Uh, a lowercase p planning and a uppercase p planning and so, sort of a concrete delineation of that? Like, you know, is there a planning in quotation marks and we can, or is it more vague than that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that's a good question. It's, it's, it's one that we actually leave sort of un, undefined in the book. I mean, I think in, in a colloquial sense uh, and in one that applies relatively well to, to these issues, planning is just that kind of, conscious decision making we are not uh abrogating sort of you know the the decision to some external process whether you know that's a market right in this case a, a market process where uh there's people doing things but there's some some of the outcomes of of what they're doing are generated in some kind of way that does not involve you know no one decide well people decide what the prices uh what the prices will be ultimately uh, you know, someone in a marketing department slaps a two ninety nine sticker, or someone at, at Walmart, right, on a on a on a thing of of Colgate. Um, but their capacity to make these decisions is uh, is you know is limited by uh, by by market by market mechanisms. But generally, it's you know it's it's that kind of conscious conscious decision making in in the economic uh, in the economic sphere that's not uh, dictated as much, right? It's I don't think there's a there's that and I think one of the points of the book is that there is no clear sort of black and white. This is planning. Uh, right. This is not because planning is suffused throughout uh, throughout our economy currently even. Right. It just happens within the four walls of the enterprise. But it is that much greater scope for uh, for conscious decision making and decision making based on uh, criteria uh, that aren't necessarily say that, you know, that aren't sort of singular in that kind of criterion of, of profit or um that run that is the motor of 
economic decision making under under capitalism. I mean, I think in terms of the sort of lower lowercase uppercase uh, planning, I think there is there probably is that this you know the USSR versus the the New Deal say or something like that. You know, since we talked about, I, I do think that industrial policy regulation, uh, you know, taxation, all of these things are are planning because they change they change the calculation and they are an right. attempt to coordinate uh, economic relationships, you know, externally, again, inserted into this kind of, you know, mythical, quote unquote, natural economy of capitalism that doesn't ever actually exist. You know, there's, there's always, there's always regulation, even just, you know, even just the fact of sort of basic property capitalism relies on uh, regulation, even that sort of idealized version uh, Mm -hmm. needs a lot of regulation, especially around the enforcement of property rights, uh, but far beyond that as well. Um, but obviously then there's, you know, there's the kind of model of there's a table somewhere with inputs, you know, with, yeah. with an exhaustive list of inputs, an exhaustive list of, you know, uh, of, of outputs, some sort of matrix. And, and that's, and that is the thing that, uh, coordinates economic, you know, this, the sort of material reproduction of, of society. So, I mean, I think, I think there is some kind of distinction and I think the other thing where where I think the book is is at times misunderstood. The last thing I'll say is is that I don't think we're quite making the argument for the capital P planning. Okay. Um, I mean, well, I, mean, I, would, I would say that there's a there's a spectrum there, and I think yeah. the um, the the reality is that for the last forty years, um, sort of neoliberal ideology. And I know the word neoliberalism gets bandied about. It's a bit too loosey goosey of a term. Nevertheless, it's, it's I think as a as a, pheno- a post nineteen seventy seventies phenomenon. I think that the, it's 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 a real thing. Mm-hmm. And that within that within that um, the uh, the consistent argument that you um, you hear over and over again is that the market is much more efficient than mechanism of allocation than planning. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't just uh, describe sort of the Soviet Union. Uh, and, uh, so I, uh, it, it even goes as far as to say any sort of regulatory intervention on the part of the state that they want to try to, uh, or, or a nationalization of any uh, sector. At, at every single stage, um, the neoliberal ideology wants to minimize um, uh, uh, conscious decision-making, except where, of course, and this is the hypocrisy within neoliberalism, except where that conscious decision-making is, uh, is put in place in order to service yeah. uh, uh, neoliberalism. Uh, yeah, I create conditions I mean, for is, profitability. The, the, this the is where we get it. Yeah, sorry. Are, are artificial creations, that they themselves are, are, are art, uh, artifacts of planning. I mean, that's the dirty little secret, right? Is that we're, we're like actually on the ground, like from an ideological perspective, uh, it's, you know, zero regulation, zero planning, but in practice where it matters, you know, it's, it's the, you know, socialism for the rich capitalism for the poor. I mean, it's yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that gets to an important point. It's not just the sort of degree of conscious decision-making. I think right. a large, a large part of it is, who gets to do that conscious sure. decision making within the planning? I think that's a big point of our book that within the planning that happens under capitalism, it's a very small number of people who are responsible for a lot of the big decisions, right? And, and it's completely and, unaccountable. And that yeah. gets, and that are completely unaccountable and that basically are there to, you know, 
that this capacity for decision making, for conscious decision making, is like a shared, very fundamental human capacity um, that is completely undermined and you know, like stymied for the vast for the vast majority of people. And I think, in many ways, that's the interest. In some yeah. ways, the more interesting axis than sort of the small p to you know capital p planning is who's in you know how many people involved in over and over obviously what range of decisions. But the two things. Um, should be taken into account, right? And again, that's the that's the problem with with some of the experiments in um, in planning that we've had that they've also been also been top down, and also uh, the planning has been relegated yeah. to a small exactly to a small the, number the, of people. The the irony here is that so uh, that Walmart may be internally economically planned, but it's hierarchically planned. The Soviet Union was hierarchically planned. Mm. The Pentagon is hierarchically planned. These are not exact. These are all examples of planning. But uh, in fact, quite extensive planning, maybe even capital P planning. Um, mm-hmm. But in none of these examples uh, is there uh, can we say that they're sort of genuinely democratic, uh, yeah. democratic planning. So we we are very very clear in our book, uh, or uh, that um, planning is a necessary condition for socialism, but is not a sufficient condition for socialism. It has to be right. democratic planning. And right. so, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that um, it's also a necessary condition for capitalist firms. And one of the like funnier kind of um, uh, s- stories that you tell in your book is what <laughs> happens when, uh, when, when when Sears, for instance, decided they weren't oh going God. to be economic plan, or they weren't going to plan their their internal the, hu- going the hubris. On. The hubris and confidence in the system that this story represents is so delicious to me. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about what Sears tried and what the the results are? Sure. So um, uh, Edward Lampert, crazy Eddie Lampert, uh, was such a um, uh, uh, a follower of Ayn Rand, uh, such a libertarian objectivist uh, that uh, when he uh, took over Sears, the great competitor of, of, of Walmart, and he, he sort of in, looked inside the black box and saw how how much planning there was, uh, he was horrified. He said, oh, this is communism. Sears is communist. <laughs> I've purchased <laughs> communism. I would like my money back. <laughs> <laughs> And so he, anyway, so he, uh, he basically decided that um, the way to turn around uh, Sears' then flagging fortunes was to uh, inject a, uh, not merely a modicum of, of, of capitalist competition, but basically to, uh, to recreate the market internally within, within, Wal- uh, within Sears. Sorry. Um, and so different departments were uh, basically treated as though they were their own companies and they competed against each other. They... At this point, they um, refused to share information with each other. There was a significant du- duplication. And basically, over time, what happened was that uh, because each different entity was competing against each, each different department, they had no longer had any sort of view in terms of the overall health um, and productivity and, and profitability of the overall organism. Uh, mm-hmm. itself. That so long as their own um, department was profitable, to hell with the other departments, to hell with the, the overall organization. And sounds like know, a great organizational philosophy so far. Well, yeah. Oh, well, you know, what's really fascinating about this is, of course, you know, beyond the fact that this this resulted in um, utter collapse in, 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 in Sears and now they're, you know, 
you know, bankruptcy. But, you know, there was, you know, uh, um, uh, escalators would go for months without working. There'd be, like, you know, uh, um, uh, shoes, just random shoes in the shoe department. It just, just, it was a complete mess. But for talk, me, talk about talk about the infi- talk about the infighting between the marketing departments. It oh, was yeah, like yeah. the the fi- the fights to put displays counter you know juxtaposed with each other in the stores. And there was one about the bike on the Mother's Day cover of the Sears magazine, yeah. where the marketing department was like, "Fuck yeah, yeah, exactly." Well, it was basically who would it was you know little capitalism. Who would pay us more? Essentially, which de- which department would pay us more and. Uh, that that's what we'll put on the cover. It doesn't matter what like what's actually happening in you know in the external in the external world or what 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 the greater process that the whole is sort of striving at um, oh, is. It, it was cool. just sort of put. We'll put a bike if the bike department paid us, or we'll put a we'll put a bike on the cover if the like if you know if another uh, tool company paid us more to market their tools <laughs> like more aggressively than our own right, like. Sears, they're, 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 like that's, oh. Sears brand, like they had a brand of tools, but like they would, yeah. <laughs> and actually, at some point, they hived off the the tool brand, and, and that's still uh, profitable. But but when it was still part part of the Sears, it would be you know during the ground because the marketing department would be working against um, against the purposes of this internal internal tool uh, tool company. And and yeah, as as Lee said, it all came uh, it all came to to a crashing halt, and a lot and a lot of it was because it didn't have this aspect of trust that's also right. fundamental to sort of you know to 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 good planning to planning to sort of that information sharing and that trust that actually happens to a huge degree within walmart and even between walmart and its suppliers that are like technically kind of operating on the market but in in, in many ways um look much more like like one firm because of this huge amount of trust and information sharing um whereas the internals of sears um had the exact opposite and this you know intensification of of competition of secretiveness of uh, of all of this basically antisocial right you know it's like antisocial behavior mm-hmm. and so is how that, would you like, how, 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 how sorry, similar is that how similar is that sears to basically how our own society runs yeah exactly that's what i was gonna, that's what i was gonna say the anti, you know that's what i mean like, by antisocial there like that's yeah. what, you know, right is, but is it a one is it a one would you say it's a one-to-one would you say it's a one-to-one micro to macro comparison between Sears and, and, and our economy or where would you draw the lines there? Where would you, because I, I think there's, I, I, I want to draw a lot of parallels between things mm-hmm. that happen in our society with how Sears collapsed, but it's, no, it's hard no, to determine no, what, what, yeah, what the correlations yeah, would be. No, it's, it's an example. It's, it's, it's a useful right. example of how market mechanisms are ultimately destructive in terms of the, the, the goals of an overall organization. It doesn't, it doesn't sure. mean that one-to-one we are living in Sears world. However, yeah, right. it looks like that. And but, I think, and I think that point that even, in, even on a macro scale, there is enough planning and there's enough coordination to actually keep things, you know, moving in a, in a coherent direction. Whereas within yeah. Sears, that kind of like overall coordination was really, really miss <laughs> like really missing. I, you know? I really wish someone would write a screenplay with things, with things like climate change or nitrogen pollution or biodiversity loss or whatever yeah. we begin to see. Uh, I mean, with, with, with Sears, it's just pure profitability with, uh, it, with our human society as on a global level, we can see that precisely because there is this lack of overall global uh, democratic planning, um, where there are individual entities that produce these commodities called fossil fuels that are that we that we all know are bad for us, 
but they have an, uh, they have an in, they they have a built an incentive to continue to produce uh, those and to lobby the the I suppose the 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 planners the the limited planning that we have to to continue to allow them to do so, so that the basically the collapse of Sears is in some ways parallel to the fact that we do not have an overall ha- conscious uh, sort of hand at the tiller in terms of planning the Earth system, which we talk about towards the end of the book um, as well. So I I want to I want to move to kind of letting you all address some criticisms of central planning or not not central planning because I don't that's not what you're abdicating you're not abdicating for no, super centralized yeah, yeah, so, planning rather than it, central planning absolutely I didn't I didn't mean to throw that word in there but um so I. I uh, I was reading I've, I've been uh, reading this very old book uh, uh, basically called uh, Market Socialism: The Debate Among Socialists, um, which is like Bertel Ullman, David Schweiker, and they're arguing about uh, and I think two other people and I can never remember their names, um, but they're they're arguing over basically market socialism versus more economic planning. And um, but uh, David Schweiker, the person on the side of the market socialist, has like raises some concerns from a left perspective. Um, but it's also an interesting question, um, you know, because if you think about like the model of market socialism, well, what if these the firms in the economy and I'm be, I'm, I'm kind of bastardizing Schweiker and other people's versions of market socialism. But what if every firm was like cooperatively owned? Um, like, and we still had used a market to regulate these things. Is that socialism is kind of like one of the key questions there. But, um, beyond that, he raises some questions about planning that I think that like, I I read your book first and was reading through this. And obviously it's not fair because David Schweikert is on the podcast with us and it's his loss really. And uh, obviously he wrote this book in the nineties. So it's not, it's not, it's completely unfair, but I was (laughs) like, I'm calling you out. Um, but like, it's the kind of thing that's like, uh, as I was going through these arguments, I was like, look, Phillips and Rosworski, they, they handled all this, Dave. Um, but like he, he raises, first of all, the, the information problem. And you've already alluded to this before the problem, the, the issue, the, the calculation debate, as you put it, you can't factor in all of the inputs, which are actually outputs from other places and all of the outputs, which are inputs into other places. It's just too complicated. So how do you factor that into a planning structure? Well, the first thing that we should say about that is that if that were the case, and that's also true with uh, with Walmart and Amazon, these these sort of entities, um, it, it, what is true is that Walmart and Amazon don't uh, don't try to create absolutely every commodity or every product or service in society. But then no no society has ever tried to do that uh, to this day anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, the second thing that one should say about that is that. Um, Within, it's it, it certainly, um, it is a good, a good thing, absolutely a wonderful thing. It's a significant advance for uh, workers to own an enterprise rather than for um, um, owners to own that, that enterprise. That is, that is absolutely a step forward. Nevertheless, let's imagine that we have, uh, say, 1975, before most people knew about climate change, and we've got a workers' cooperative that produces natural gas or oil or coal. Because they still exist within a market, they're trying to sell that product, they still would have an incentive to continue to produce that mo- uh, that, 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 that product, that commodity, once we had discovered 
the problem with fossil fuels. And that organization, to maintain its profitability, would just as a privately owned fossil fuel company, lobby government, uh, try to uh, pay off elect, uh, elected representatives to maintain subsidies for, uh, for fossil fuels or to allow them to continue to be produced. Um, on the, the converse is, uh, of this is if uh, we recognize that there is something that needs to be produced that isn't profitable, let's again, let's use the example of, 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 of climate change. Let's say that we need to uh, build out um, a network of fast charging stations for electric vehicles through an area of the country that, uh, where there's not many people, low population density, or um, uh, poor people. Um, um, a, a cooperative Tesla, let's say, uh, workers own Tesla, uh, would not build out, would have no incentive to build out uh, the network of fast charging stations to a, uh, a village or a town or even a city uh, uh, where there wasn't sufficient uh, population density for that to be profitable. So um, still, even under market socialism, you still would have the problem of climate change. Yeah, or or in other words, you still need that external standard of coordination. You still need that sort of planning, you know, that layer of planning that goes beyond just the within just the within the firm democracy um, and within the firm planning that's democratized and um, and goes beyond it. I mean, I think in terms of the well, information, that's what we have at the moment, but that of course is what we have at the moment. So uh, that that sort of like extra, I mean, that's social democracy yeah. or liberal. Um, regulatory intervention, so it still doesn't. Sorry, I'm not, I don't. I don't want to. Dis, I mean, I don't want to disagree with you here, uh, Michal. No, no. I mean, I agree, but it's just like you. You need more and more of it in order to yeah, make absolutely. to make the actual economic. You know, to make the economic. And at some point, you're overriding. Um, at some point, you're overriding the incentive structure that sort of exists within uh, within market socialism, and then you're mm-hmm. finding other ways to. To do to do the coordination. I mean, the other the other big issue is, and I can't remember. I read this book too too long ago. Um, I reread it in doing the background research for this book. I can't remember quite how Schweikart deals with the um, with the labor market. I know he had some things, but I mean, I think there's huge issues um, uh, around how you well you you shouldn't really be running a labor market under any kind of uh, socialism. And then the question is how that translates into running um other sorts of markets i mean i think there are there are i've heard arguments i mean sam gindon who was at our book launch also had a long more recent piece in catalyst outlining sort of a vision for market socialism um that i highly encourage people to read because it's a good it's a good um counterpoint but even he raises that point that there's certain things uh for which you know a market uh relationship is completely uh you know should be completely done away with uh Mm -hmm. but then but then it raises the problems of how you coordinate that with you know with other kinds with with still price-based coordination other parts of the economy i I do think there is and especially in any you know when we're thinking about anything realistically to do with uh with our world and with and with you know social the social change processes that um that we have um again here there's a gradation there's some you know yeah. some sort of we, we've called it at you know you know like some sort of gradation between market socialism and kind of planning socialism um and it's in some ways hard to envision that very you know limit point at the at either end really um because at, at some point under market socialism those incentives um 
you know, the market incentives start to really interfere with and, and cor- you know, corrupt, not in, in that colloquial uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren way, uh, but, but really, you know, corrupt, corrupt the, the sort of socialism aspect. Whereas the, um, in terms of the planning socialism, you, it, it, in some ways it is still hard to envision that limit where, um, where that coordination, you know, where the level of information capacity and, and the change in, in incentives is such that, um, that you've really done away with all market relationships, even at sort of, you know, the sides, you know, like the vegetable market out in, in the town square or whatever. Um, uh, but, but there's definitely a gradation and there's definitely people who would, you know, be way more towards one end. And I think we're both much more towards the other end. And, 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 you know, and thinking of going towards that other limit, it's just where, um, where that exists, obviously, um, the main, you know, the main limit on any of this is, is actual social relationships. And again, how we relate to people, the kind of, uh, movements that we have, the capacity to, to create real social change, to institute, um, totally different relationships of production. Um, but there is an aspect where, um, sorry, there is, there is an aspect where technology does, um, does play a role. And I think that's one of the answers to, um, to Schweikart, uh, to Schweikart too, that, you know, for example, Amazon and, and Walmart do a lot of very, very, uh, complex economic calculation. Um, but even they don't fully solve the problems that they're out to solve, even like Amazon with, you know, how it, how it ships, uh, how it plans its, its package shipping on any given day, um, or anything else. Um, they come up with solutions that, that are good enough and our capacity to come up with good enough solutions to these extremely, extremely complex, uh, you know, high order computation problems are a lot better today, you know, obviously than they were in Hayek's time when he thought that pr- the price system was, you know, this kind of mystical action at a distance, he calls it at some point, uh, which again, seems very quaint uh, in the era of the, of the cell phone. Um, and even in comparison to, to Schweikart's day in, in the, you know, mid nineties. I think the, uh, the only thing I would add there is, uh, and just to under, underscore a, a, a lot of that is that, um, you know, there's a lot of desire on the part of, of, of some people to, to set up a, a debate between socialist planning and market socialism. And what we've been saying throughout the, the course of our presentation of, of our book and our different events is that, this is sort of a false dichotomy that, I mean, realistically, a, a globally planned economy covering absolutely every sector is not feasible tomorrow and may never be feasible. Um, but at the same time, um, um, if there were some greater development of um, of workers' cooperatives where workers begin to um, learn the confidence, learn a confidence in their ability to organize production without the need for managers in the line, you know, in line with the, you know, the old, um, um, uh, situationist, you know, the French situationist slogan of the, the you know, that the boss needs us, but we don't need the boss. I mean, I, I think those are very, very healthy things. And the question then begins to be instead of either market socialism or socialist planning, but, um, uh, a sort of spectrum or a, um, where socialist planning uh, in a sort of totalizing way begins to be this sort of like end point that we, to, towards which we, um, 
we, you know, we asymptote towards, let's say, but maybe we never actually completely achieve it. But at the end of the day, does it really matter um, if um, um, we have achieved a society where there's this lovely mix of um, of, of workers' co-ops and, and great swathes of the economy are consciously planned democratically where, you know, healthcare, education, rent, edu- uh, electricity, um, a range of other different services. Um, I mean, that's that, basically the argument that we're trying to make is trying to return the idea of humans being at the, at the a democratic uh, heart of decision-making or an allocation as opposed to the blind um, um, uh, sort of anarchy of, of, of market relations, both in the workplace and in society as a, as a whole. The, the, the sort of pure market socialism, unfortunately, only looks at democratizing the workplace and does not look at democratizing the economy as a whole. And for that reason, they run up, there would still be economic crises under uh, market socialism, which is why we talk about um, the, the sort of really existing market socialism that existed within um, uh, the former Yugoslavia. Uh, the uh, the contribution of market socialism, where there was a disparity between different regions, uh, between Serbia and um, Croatia and, and and Kosovo and so on and so forth, um, is in part a significant pro- you know product of the the inequalities that uh, of of the market, even if the mar- even if the actors within that market uh, were workers cooperatives. Well, and and that was in many ways. Oh, sorry, we're going. This, this is a very very extended answer, so maybe I won't. <laughs> well, well, I was going to point out that I think one of our points that I wanted to get to is sort of being d- danced around, which is Schweikart's authoritarian problem, which seems stupid because our economy isn't exactly democratic or free as as is. So yeah, as both yeah, I mean part part of the part of the thing for part of the rationale for. For the maybe not the rationale, but one of the things we try to do in the book is basically tar, tar Walmart with the same brush as the USSR, right? We have chapters yeah. on both of them, but in, in some ways it's it's true that and it's something that we commonly forget, or is that like ideologically totally obscured? Is that this is extremely uh, authoritarian planning that happens under capitalism? You know, like you have very little to no say um, of how of how you know every day a large chunk of your everyday life is structured and what what you're doing how you're doing it and um and everything related we you know we uh one of the chapters in the book is um called islands of of tyranny i believe and that's uh sort of noam chomsky's play on this phrase islands of conscious power which uh which is in from dh robert this old 30s economist called dh robertson who's a collaborator of Keynes, but also figures prominently in um an essay by uh, Ronald Coase, who's probably the best known sort of uh, mainstream um, economist who who's really looked at uh, the firm um, as as a planner and as and and as a sort of necessary planner under capitalism that solves you know problems um, problems that capitalism would have if there was you know a little market for everything like a market for me uh, working in a warehouse and calling out you know prices that I'm willing to like move a box for. Right. right, which <laughs> clearly doesn't right clearly doesn't happen. Someone like the four, the manager, the four person, whoever says you go move that box, uh, you go move that box, uh, that box there. So, so I, I do think the, um, you know, we do have to th- we have to deal with uh, with the question of authoritarianism. Um, right. 
but I think, as you said, you know, it's, it's, we have to deal with it um, and think about the, the reliance of sort of markets on, on whole spheres of authoritarianism, you know, today. Well, on that note, do you think like, you know, I think um, there's, there's a quote about Marx about not trying to be the cook in the kitchen of the future or something like that. But, um, you know, what, like what, in terms of institutional design, when we're talking about economic planning, do you have a sense of what these types of democratic structures might look like either, um, you know, at a, uh, you know, in terms of like an ideal idealized society, nation is a weird word, but at, either at a federal level or a regional level or a local level, do you have a sense of what institutional design might look like in your mind? Well, we uh, personally, I mean, we personally, as Karl Marx once said. No, sorry. I was just <laughs> going to say that. I mean, our, we should be. Uh, this this question keeps coming up over and over again, and we were very sort of modest in what we wanted to do. We just wanted to talk about the question of economic planning. Um, and uh, everybody's been asking, okay, so so so, what would our democratic socialist structure globally look like? And I'm like what? That's more <laughs> of a book to, to yeah. write, which we might be writing, but um, uh, no, that's yeah. that's another question. That's okay. another question. Yeah, you, you, you need you that's need to it. write that, and you need to write a screenplay for a movie about the uh, <laughs> the Sears the Sears uh, situation. Like, I really want to see a movie about that. Yeah. And Sorry. and you remember, you know, this is a twelve dollar verso book, which yeah. a means you should be buying it, but b don't expect a twelve dollar verso book to tell you what the so perfect social society <laughs> looks like. Because um, that's you be selling yourself short. No, I mean I'm I'm joking, but I do I do think that in many ways that it's exactly what Lee said. Like we're we're still. We're still at that phase of really, on, especially on, on on the left, on on just sort of opening our imaginations again and getting these big questions that were, you know, that were live questions in um, in the '30s, in the '50s, and 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 '60s and '70s too. Like under, you know, when when the trade union movement had had real power, when the left was more powerful, these were live questions of debate, and we've kind of forgotten about the question of planning. Not surprisingly, over the last, you know, 30, 40. Uh, 30, 40 years. So the aim of the book was was really modest and, and to make, you know, in many ways to make planning familiar, both various kind of, you know, left the really existing sort of capitalist planning um, and then, you know, left experiments in planning and then throughout have that thread of just generally that there is a left alternative that has been a sort of lodestar of the left for a long time of this kind of democratized, uh, you know, mass participatory uh, planning where that capacity for conscious decision making is really um, is really exercised. And I do think it I do think the the good news is we do have a rebirth um, of the left. We have a, a real rebirth of the thinking. I mean, the Financial Times also has said that, you know, that the new thinking, economic thinking is on the left and they do run these profiles every once in every once in a while and it you know it, you're kind of like eh, do i want to be praised by the fi-? you probably want to be praised by the financial times maybe not too much um but but that's where the that's where the exciting thinking is happening and we do i think the next step is to be thinking seriously about what these kinds of you know mechanisms of social coordination yeah. look like um again on that gradation that goes that starts moving us towards towards that kind of again democratic mass you know d- democratic through and through vision um, of how we take care of our material needs. 
the, other, on the, one the other thing that you could say here is that um, you know even before uh, you know the glorious day of the revolution and everything is utterly transformed right now um, we're already seeing um, uh, conversations about the return of economic planning when we talk about the green new deal that's what we're yeah. talking about mm -hmm. at the end of the day yeah. as opposed to uh, leaving uh, things up to um, market mechanisms such as carbon pricing which to some extent is uh, is a sort of uh, very minimal kind of planning that still yeah. tries to have as much of a market mechanism as possible nevertheless green new deal is basically about um human conscious decision making about what our society is going to look like in terms of its uh, sources of energy and how we're going to adapt um, uh, to uh, to the locked in um, uh, ch uh, climate change similarly yeah. with medicare for all Medicare for all in the United States is a, is a, at the at the bottom of it all is a conversation about the market versus planning and so even so while the the, the broader longer term conversations about what a fully planned economy would look like are super 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 important as a as a as a long term goal if you read our book and this and you're not a socialist you're just a liberal or a social democrat or even maybe like a in Canada, we would call a sort of like uh, a red Tory, or in the UK, a one nation Tory, or a Marco you know, Rubio, um, <laughs> or a, you know, oh, no. <laughs> a, a Republican, or something like that. And admittedly, those are very few and <laughs> far between these days. But you should be able to read our book and say, okay, now I've got to like when anybody says, I don't believe in the power of the public sector. I don't believe in the in, in planning. The, the market is always the optimum, most efficient mechanism of allocation. You've now got a really good argument in your back pocket as to why um, actually planning can work. It's it's interesting. You both mentioned the Green New Deal and Medicare for All because um, like public ownership seems to be a central question when we're talking about economic planning. And obviously, there's there's the there's a, an entire chapter in your book about the National Health Service in the UK and, you know, how, where kind of that started at, in terms of like what what kind of planning was required to run such a thing. Um, what is the real, like, because I, I, you know, I, I wrote a piece recently in, in these times about, you know, we were asked to give our take on na uh, nationalizing Amazon versus antitrust action against Amazon. And and there are there are other there are other I, I I know that and funny enough the person that wrote the antitrust article David Dayan uh, like we should break up Amazon he actually just recently wrote a new piece of that saying that we should nationalize uh, Purdue Pharma like so that when we're like increasingly people are talking about public ownership and could you say a little bit about what you think the relationship between uh, public ownership and economic planning is and just to, to flesh that out a little bit for us. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like the gateway, the gateway drug. <laughs> but you know, it it is in the sense of that currently that's that's where democracy happens. Uh, currently, right? We we don't have uh, economic democracy. We don't have any sizable scale of like workplace of workplace democracy. But we do have um, political democracy. So public ownership is essentially at this point at least right that vehicle for 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 getting something for making the decision making be something about other than just you know what's what's best uh to do in order to succeed on the on the capitalist market right so it is that is the means we have currently of 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 basically applying that conscious decision decision making and applying planning to um, whether it's a whole sector or just like a sizable um, 
player in the in the sector. And I think that's you know that's one of the reasons where we'd probably side with your or you know against some of the um, the anti the antitrust stuff too as as a solution to these particular problems where the problem isn't just you know like if there were three Amazon you know it's like the it's better than one billion there too right you know like yeah, yeah. Amazon's better than than one there, there are some you know there might be some of these like data or where around Amazon or Facebook some of it has to do with privacy concerns which are hard concerns um, obviously maybe you know heightened with with some degree of like economic monopolization but they're but they're there and underlying even if you had like three facebooks you'd still run into a lot of like very deep very deep uh privacy issues that you know any sort of plan system will have to grapple with as well that's a totally different conversation i don't really um, want to get into it but for the same you know aside from those um Again, those same relation, you know, those same relationships and the same tendencies and same incentives as with that conversation we had about market socialism. Like three Amazons would still be three like hierarchical, uh, yeah. uh, deeply authoritarian Amazons that strive for a very particular goal, which is profitability and you know for its shareholders rather than other social goals. So that's why, as Lee said, you know, like Medicare for all, then you can actually um, have other social goals within this big sector of the economy where profitability is not one of the goals efficiency still might be a goal but it might be counterbalanced by like what are the conditions for uh for workers within this system um who has access to it right like these very basic things where uh, where you can and you can institute those sort of by um by by fiat by like democratic fiat rather than uh creating you know some weird you know whole like scaffolding of regulations and, and incentives and it's like carbon pricing with the green new deal right you have to do all these machinations in order to get the outcome that you could just sort of plan for i think i would say that with respect to if we shift to um away from questions around data protections which which are as Miao says, very very difficult and we, we talk a little bit about this in, in the book well we, and we would love to go into more detail about this, where you know, like the nationalization of Facebook is that really, you know, do you want, we certainly don't want a private entity to have access to all your personal data, but at the same time, do you really want the state to have access to all of your data? So that's, that's a whole other level of, uh, that's a, you know, again, there could be another book written about that. But with respect to, so, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren and um, even Bernie Sanders, when when they confront the question around, the major banks and the, the challenge of the financialization of, 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 of the economy that's happened in the United States and around the world over the last 40 years. And their solution is to break up the big banks. And I, I mean, I think it's definitely, you know, as me have said, you know, a gateway drug, you know, Medicare for all and, um, and the Green New Deal may be your gateway drug. And these are the easier sectors where we can begin to talk about the importance of public sector um, uh, enterprises. Um, but, um, and maybe it is a little bit early, early days in the United States to be talking about the nationalization or and democratization of the financial sector. But, you know, I, I found it absolutely fascinating that even if um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren don't at the moment feel confident to talk about, uh, they would rather talk about breaking up the big banks and antitrust or discourse uh, rather than nationalizing them. You know, Martin Wolf's uh, piece in, in the uh, in the Financial Times just a few days ago, like he doesn't uh, argue for this, but he sort of does dip his, his when he talks about 
the the problem of financialization and 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 the rent and rentier capitalism and irrational investment decision making you know this it, i find it interesting that even the financial times is to some extent more radical let's say a little bit in terms of its ability to have a broader conversation than just a, the question of, of breaking up the banks and i think that's where the 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 the, the left can really at the outside of uh, what Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren feel confident at the moment about talking about in, in terms of with respect to Elizabeth Warren actually is ideologically committed to. That's a real role where we can take the next level. Like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was the radicals who were talking about Medicare for all, uh, who were talking about, you know, the solution to climate change is, is, you know, state planning. And, and well, now that's a mainstream conversation on both those fronts. Yeah. Radical at the moment is is state planning, uh, public sector planning of of, of, of investment decision making, um, and now maybe maybe we can begin to have we can be the radicals when we're talking about uh, investment decision making. And again, I just one last little thing I would say is that, you know, during the Second World War, most investment decision making was made by the state under Franklin uh, Roosevelt and the states um, um, under the you know national unity government headed by Churchill. Why did they do that? In a whole range of different sectors, because they could not, because the war was too important. Uh, they needed tax to be paid next month, and they could not wait for the free market to 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 decide whether they would or they wouldn't. Um, yeah. you know, so, so again, it's a it's a return of of, of conversations that for some, that we now on the left might be at the bleeding edge of radical radicalism, but reminding people at the same time that. Even the most conservative individuals, when push came to shove for their own elite interests, let's say, uh, did not trust the free market um, uh, to, to make those mm -hmm. decisions, those allocations in time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it, well, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, we could go on, but we're about <laughs> at time. Um, so I, I do want to say, you know, thanks so much for joining me and Casey on. Future Left Podcast, Lee Phillips, Michal Rozorski, uh, authors of the new book, The People's Republic of Walmart. And, you know, you mentioned your your um, your goal with this book was kind of to spark the imagination. And um, I really think the book is a success in that in that sense. I've read it twice and I feel like it's a really oh, wow. energizing and em empowering uh, book to have read. Um, so I can't recommend it enough. But thanks for joining us on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for your, for your book. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Absolutely. And uh, that's it for, this, for us this week on uh, Future Left Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Take care, Adam. Okay. Yeah.